This is Web Suasion Conversation, episode 38. Welcome to the show. I am Ryan Williams, president and founder of the Web Suasion Group and Kapoka Studios here at Pinewood Atlanta Studios in Fayetteville, Georgia. Today on the show, we have Bob Burrows of Psionic Mobile. Bob led Bell South Mobility, now AT&T, in the launch of several consumer products, including Voice Connect and One Number Service. He headed product planning and marketing for IntelliOne and launched the company's IOVector application for iPhone and BlackBerry, a traffic navigation and trip planning app. He has been the Executive Vice President of Products for Sonic Mobile since 2010. And Sonic Mobile are clients of ours, and we've been working with them for a little over six years now. We've started out simply doing marketing websites for them, but over time they realized our capabilities and we've taken on more and more, resulting in us building their merchant portals and now collaborating with their own development staff to build their new U-Link platform. It's a cutting-edge system that connects the Internet of Things to both merchants and consumers. Kind of a one-stop shop for integration that any merchant or device manufacturer can tap into. We'll talk with Bob more about that in the interview. But one of the topics we touch on briefly today has to do with cloud technology and how it's quickly changing. For well over a decade, WebSuasion has been managing cloud VPS instances, that stands for virtual private servers, for all of our clients. But recently, we've gotten heavily into Kubernetes deployments. Kubernetes has been around for a while, but it's largely been used by giant corporations like Google to manage scalability of their systems. It's complex to integrate and manage, but the scalability it provides is well worth the expense and effort. So where those aforementioned VPS servers fell short was as the use of your application grew, at some point it meant you had to migrate to a larger system. That meant some downtime and a lot of sweating it out by some server administrator like myself to make sure everything came together without issue. Now with Kubernetes, we can develop our apps in such a way that those server instances can easily grow with a simple command or even automatically. There is no downtime. We can roll changes forward and backward as needed with no ill effect to your users. So if you're experiencing some bottlenecks in your application development and deployment, give me a call. Ryan Williams at the Web Suasion Group, 404-418-8909, extension 10, or email me at ryan at websuasion.com. That's R-Y-A-N at W-E-B-S-U-A-S-I-O-N dot C-O-M. Now let's talk to Bob Burrows. Bob, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate you having me. Tell me, where did you grow up? Grew up really all around. My dad was in the military, so he was a career military man, and so we lived in a number of places. He ended up, his last station was in Montgomery, Alabama, so we lived in a little town just outside of Montgomery called Millbrook, and I went to high school there, and then uh, ended up going to college in Alabama. So. so you went to Auburn? Went to Auburn University, yep. And what did you major in? Ended up being marketing. I initially thought I wanted to be a dentist. So, uh, <laughs> so did you originally uh, go to Auburn for dentistry? Well, then? the way it worked was I had just started with what now is AT&T. Yeah. It was Western Electric back then, part of AT&T. And they had a great tuition refund program, but they wouldn't 
refund tuition if you were taking something that really couldn't see a benefit for the company. Right, right. So people take basically the same classes for the first year or two, at least back then they did. Right. So I thought, well, get started. And you had to choose what degree path you're following. So I started with marketing. And uh, ironically, I found I really enjoyed it. So dentistry went out the window and I just uh, ended up getting my degree in marketing. While you were at AT AT&T then, did it switch from marketing into development more? Because you got pretty heavily into development at that point. Yeah, the company was great for me. When I got my degree, uh, Montgomery was more of a distribution facility. So there was really nothing for marketing and things like that. So I was able to, my boss helped me get to Atlanta where it was more technical marketing back then, which right. in the, the difference is you're sort of the product expert and you go talk with the salespeople about what the product can do, how maybe how to position it with consumers or businesses, that type of thing. And yeah. uh, so that's the job I had for quite a while. And that's what got me to Atlanta yeah. uh, initially. And then the wireless business heated up. One of the guys that was in the desk uh, kind of adjacent to mine was working on the early wireless technology And so I got to sort of see that, and they were way wrong about how big this would get. They thought over years and years, they might get a few hundred thousand people to use wireless. Oh, wow. And uh, (laughs) and we see that 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 didn't really uh, end up that way. No, no, not at all. Everything's based on it now, right? Yeah, exactly. So was that part of Singular when you moved into Singular Wireless? Back then, it was all Bell South. Yeah, this is the pre-split. Right, right. And then so Bell South had a couple of wireless divisions, Bell South Cellular and and a couple other small uh, carriers that they had picked up and so forth. So I worked in the Bell South Cellular and then companies started to work on consolidating. So Singular was formed by really a consolidation of all the Bell South assets plus Southwestern Bell, you know. Right, right. And so that created that company and I, you know, became a Singular employee that time. At what point did you venture out of there and into being part of your own? Yeah. Based company. When Singular and AT&T merged, then suddenly you had a lot of duplication, a lot of overlap of right. roles and things like that. So it was a great opportunity for somebody who was looking to leave to take a package, so to speak. So I actually retired from AT&T, although I wasn't, you know, with younger children, I wasn't actually retiring. Right, but, right. Uh, but that gave me an opportunity to try something else. And initially I was contacted by an old friend of mine who had started a consulting company called West Management. Okay. He specialized in helping wireless carriers with building up their sales teams or their distribution, that type thing. But he was often contacted by companies about, well, we want to work on a marketing program or a product launch or something like that. So he's like, you'd be a perfect complement to his skills. So come in as a partner into West Management. So so I did that for a few years. And that's how I initially went to call on a company called IntelliOne because I had a friend who also had been at Singular with me, and he had just recently been hired by IntelliOne, went over there seeking consulting work, and they're like, well, we don't want any consultants, but we'd like to hire you to come in and run our product innovation. And that was kind of my first taste of, you know, small entrepreneurial kind of companies. Right, right. I think so. What kind of product were they working on specifically? So this was sort of an early version of the current Waze app. Yeah. So what we were doing was taking signals from cell towers and aggregating those up, determining first whether or not they were part of a moving vehicle on a roadway. And if we did, then we would look at those signals over time and calculate the distance between 
say, cell towers, and that would let us know what the road speed was for a particular vehicle. And then by aggregating up all the vehicles on the road, we could predict the speed of the traffic on a particular stretch of road. So we used that information, and we were sort of a wholesaler at least initially. And then we started looking at, well, how do we monetize this? So we had customers that were like radio stations or TV stations who wanted to get that kind of data to show on maps and things like that. We also got into building our own application, which we called IOVector. And that was a consumer-oriented application that was funded by merchants. And so free to the consumer And then the merchants would pay to advertise because we could actually show where the company was along the route of the user, which made it a very interactive type thing, gave the merchant a good chance to maybe catch the eye of that driver or passenger or whoever, that kind of thing. So So what uh, happened to IntelliOne? So we had a uh, sort of a parting of the ways. Part of the board wanted to continue to be a wholesaler and let others monetize and just be a pipe. And then... Other folks, including our current CEO, wanted to try to say the money on this thing is in doing our own monetization. Right. And so let's stay the course on that. So we sort of had a parting of the ways and it was amicable, but we uh, went on and formed a different company. Um, that was Psionic Mobile? Psionic Mobile. Awesome. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and rather than just try to repeat what we did at IntelliOne, we sort of just got a clean sheet of paper and said, we really saw the value not necessarily in just traffic and road speeds and things like that, but in terms of really that mobile marketing, mobile payments and all that. So the stake in the ground for Sonic Mobile was how do we help drive this early adoption of mobile payments away from the traditional credit cards or checks or right. or cash or that kind of thing. So we wanted to be, you know, we saw ourselves as a pioneer in mobile payments. What kind of challenges did you guys meet early on with that as far as getting into the payment industry like that? Well, and you're a small company, the payment industry and, you know, there's still a lot of large players in there, but yeah. just trying to get the attention of payment processors and the and the companies that you need to work with in order to get into the payment space right. is very difficult. The amount of regulation and red tape, it was just uh, pretty overwhelming. Yeah. So we just had to stay with it. And we finally got a smaller processor to take us on. And once you're sort of in the space, then it became easier to get one of the larger banks and larger processors to come around to our way of thinking, so to speak. So, right, right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of what Sonic's done in the time. Uh, it's been several years now. How long has Sonic Mobile been around? We've been a little over 10 years. 10, year, oh, 10 yeah. years. Okay, wow. Mm-hmm. So how has the product changed and where are you headed? Right. Well, we initially started out as a loyalty-only type platform, and our first foray was in airports. So consumers would go and either purchase foods or go to concessions at an airport. And for doing so, they would earn loyalty points. And then those loyalty points could be redeemed initially for items. So, right. And then we started to try to make the model easy for people to understand and for people to use. So yeah. we converted it into an actual currency, gotcha. which allowed you to buy any product with your loyalty currency. Yeah. And what we found was not really... Being able to validate the payment was a challenge to make sure that there wasn't fraud and so on and so forth and yeah. people getting too much loyalty or not enough loyalty or that type of thing. So so that's when we started our, our initial foray into becoming part of the payment flow. Right. And we've done several models around that all the way from what they call a payfac or payment facilitator, mm-hmm. which is sort of like a single company 
that a lot of smaller companies come to and the payment is really going through the larger brand, right. but, but is being somewhat sub-branded to the smaller players. Mm-hmm. And what that does for the smaller guy, it hopefully gets them better rates because you're aggregating up the rate across a lot of smaller companies. Right, right. so a lot of smaller vendors, be, uh, merchants be able to come in and offer loyalty programs and all of this that they right. wouldn't have been able to do exactly. otherwise. So, but now you're really taking more of a turn to doing a new product called Ulink, right? So correct, you, correct. So, and so... That came about because initially we were going to partner with General Motors and bring our loyalty product into their consumer apps. So they right. have apps for all their different brands. They've got the My GMC, My Cadillac, and so on and so forth. So the idea initially was to embed that loyalty functionality and that commerce functionality that we had into those apps and right. allow GM users to have additional things that they could do with their app besides, say, open their car door or schedule a maintenance or that type of thing, what right. these apps traditionally do. And then that led us into uh, about that time, General Motors was moving quickly towards offering consumer and merchant-type services, commerce-type services right. through their vehicle itself. And because we were already working with them, they said, hey, would you like to perhaps get into this thing and and be a sort of a service provider, if you will, through GM to bring merchants to the vehicle. Gotcha. And so we worked with them for a number of years. And in doing so, we got a firsthand knowledge of, of what the challenges were for trying to do commerce through a vehicle. Right. Okay? And some a lot of the limitations and <clears throat> user interface and all kinds of stuff. There is because of things like distracted driving, for right. example. I mean, you know, the last thing that, that any merchant wants to be associated with is a car accident where people are injured or, heaven forbid, killed or that type of thing. So, yeah, yeah. so also General Motors, the OEMs feel the exact same way. So what you had to do was come up with a, a solution that was minimally distractive to the occupant, but still offered value, right? Yeah. So, uh, so that was the challenge. And what we saw as one of the biggest challenges to that was identifying the consumer back to the merchant. So right. in the early days, uh, General Motors wanted to have set up where for every merchant that we brought, the consumer, in order to do commerce with that merchant or do transactions, they would have to log in to the consumers, uh, you know, use the logins that they use in the in either their their website right. or their mobile app. Unified login kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so what that meant for a consumer is if there were 20 merchants that were available through the vehicle, they would have to first have 20 accounts, one for each of the merchants, because there's no sharing of that kind of information across merchant, right? Right. And then usually they had to have a mobile app or or some other type thing. So we saw we saw all these as basically barriers or points of friction that right. that we could pull away by having the concept of a just a universal account that a consumer could use across any merchant that came aboard with either GM or any of the other OEMs. And gotcha. so we pitched that to General Motors, but you know they were somewhat hesitant to go down that route. They really wanted to have an arm's length relationship with the merchants. Mm-hmm. So they preferred the route of putting the merchant out front and making the user understand that by logging in that they were dealing directly with the merchant that gotcha. type of thing so we said well you know maybe everybody doesn't feel the same way as general motors and so we'll go out and and we took basically the same work that we did to try to pitch them on that ulink concept we sort of built ulink from the ground up 
And the main premise of it was how do we reduce the historical friction points for doing mobile commerce? Talk a little bit about what Ulink actually does in the background. So there's this term called the Internet of Things all these different devices talking to the internet in some way, shape, or form. Was that an initial focus of Sonic Mobile, or is that something that kind of emerged out of the process of doing the uh, connected commerce? It did emerge. It Initially, our focus, because we were with GM, was really the internet of things, but the thing in that case was a car. It was right? a single, like a... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, a, and a car, and, and even the connectivity there started out as providing music or, right. you know, the types of things that people were already used to. You could already get music in a car, but now you could go on steroids and get whatever music you wanted to. You could listen to what you wanted to, when you wanted to, that type thing. So that was the initial thing. And then that sort of had a natural migration to say, well, what else could you do with this connectivity that you had in the vehicle? And so, so that's when the commerce into the vehicle came. And then the natural extension of that is as things like ring and other connected devices out there, connected refrigerators, so on and so forth. Right. The natural evolution of that is to say, okay, they were connected to do a certain thing, let you know if you needed milk, or let you know if somebody was at your door, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But there are also devices that we felt would be perfect for letting you create a transaction or a commerce transaction because they're right there, they're ubiquitous, and you don't always have to reach into your pocket, find your cell phone. So we see it as complementary to the cell phone and not going to replace the cell phone, but give you the opportunity to really have commerce around you 360, right. but only use it when you're ready for it. So you're totally, as the consumer, you're totally in the control of when and where and how you use that. Yeah. So Ulink is behind your cell phone, it's behind the television, it's behind your car, potentially anything that is talking to the cloud. Absolutely. So we kind of are that connective tissue. And what we see happening is that rather than having each of the IoT providers, either the product providers or going individually to merchants and mm-hmm. trying to work a deal and then have to do their own development and integration right. with merchant by merchant, the premise that we bring is we will do all the integration with the merchants and then we'll provide you either the OEM or some other partner or some IoT partner. We'll provide you with the endpoints, the API, that you can have a standardized way right. of communicating with all these different merchants. That's the power that we bring to the Internet of Things so that it's not a one-to-one. It's this one-to-many, including for the consumer having just a single account. What is like a practical example of that? What kind of things that would a consumer be able to do with this technology? So because one of the key areas we're working on is vehicles. So Mm -hmm. when you're in the vehicle, there are certain things that just sort of come to mind that will be immediate value for drivers, things like finding and paying for parking. Right. Things like, I'm hungry, I want to stop and pick up some food, order some food ahead, stop in, pick it up. So order ahead of food is a big one. Right. Uh, Right. People want to be able to go in and fuel up their vehicle. They can just pull up tell us what the pump is, and then get out, not have to worry about swiping their card or 
or having their card ripped off. Uh, right, from, just does uh, it straight from the app. Exactly. Yeah. And so just trying to make those experiences right within the fabric of commuting or, you know, being in your vehicle and that type of thing. So, uh, and then the same thing with products that you find at home, refrigerators, TVs, things like that. You go home and you notice the fridge is empty. Yeah. You have a couple options, right? You can run out to the grocery store. We want to give you the opportunity to say, well, can't get to the grocery store today, so uh, why don't we just order out, right? And instead of, you know, maybe grabbing your phone or whatever, just do it right from the fridge or right from the television. And then, like I said, with that one to many, have enough choice for the consumer or their family so that we can satisfy their need at the time. So where do you see that all going, though, with so much prevalence of our cell phones being in our pockets and voice to text and all this kind of stuff? Like, sure. Where is that technology going to well, I think what you're going to have is uh, you've got all the different Alexa type of devices and mm-hmm. those type things, and those are going to probably be around homes for a long time. So what we're trying to do is let merchants continue to focus on the traditional type things. Most merchants are going to have a mobile app. Most right. merchants are going to have a website, right? You're going to be able to call a phone number and, and order and do those kind of things. They need to do all that that they can do and keep doing that. But rather than a merchant going out and working individually with all these new technologies, we want to be able to say, look, you know, come to one place and integrate at one time, and then you can pick and choose which of these commerce channels, some will work for you, some aren't as attractive, so on and so forth. Or if things change over time and you decide that, hey, initially I didn't think that the home IoT was going to be a good channel for us. Right. You've already done the integration, so you just flip it on when you're ready to go. And it's not going to be extremely costly, I would think, for the merchants. Right. Because, well, that's right. Because we're working with a lot of merchants, we can defray the cost of doing these things across not only a lot of merchants, but a lot of different IoT providers. Right. So we don't have to have exorbitant fees because of this kind of one-to-many, not only integration, but opportunity for these large merchant marketplaces. Gotcha. So what role do partnerships play in the execution of U-Link? Um, are there particular types of partnerships that you're looking for? Yeah. So we do everything through partnerships, actually. We, we don't want U-Link to be necessarily a consumer-facing application. We would rather work with partners who are in the connected car space or the IoT space mm-hmm. because they're spending already a lot of money on branding, on differentiating their product. So we want to sort of sit behind the scenes and bring that capability to these partners as opposed to spend uh, a lot of money creating a a U-Link brand. So that's really where we're headed by trying to use partnerships. Are there any other competitors out there doing anything like U-Link or is it pretty unique in the industry and is it pioneering a path sort of right now? We think it's pretty unique. Um, We're not seeing a lot of people doing this. You've got some obviously giant consumer type of brands out there that are in the technology space. Right. But what we're finding is that they're somewhat fractured in their approach. And so Mm -hmm. this gives us, as a smaller company, a more nimble company, an opportunity to utilize some of the things that they've built, but maybe package it up in a slightly different way than maybe they had initially intended, or they're not necessarily using it to their best advantage based on what we can see. And so we think we can work with these large companies. And as their technology evolves, we can integrate that technology into the U-Link experience. So if there are other companies out there who are in this kind of connected commerce field, uh, should they contact Sonic about integrating? Or Absolutely. They're Absolutely. at that point now? Yes. And we already are talking to a lot of companies, but 
There's many out there that we think could benefit from what we're doing mm-hmm. and our technology. So certainly give us a call. What are you guys looking forward to aside from launching Ulink and seeing that grow? Is there anything else you're looking forward to with the, the company? Well, that's, we're looking forward to some additional partnerships and yeah. that are in the wings now. And so that's exciting. And these are, you know, household names that people will recognize. And, and I think will bring a lot of value, not only to our company, but to the whole concept of universal linking and a universal account. So we're excited and we're really excited about that. Do you have any kind of recommendations or things that you would have done differently in your career path, not from the AT&T side of things, but really when you went into the independent space, the smaller startup space, is there any advice you can provide to somebody who's kind of going that route? Well, I think the best thing is to try to keep on top of the technology. Yeah. For example, there's so much going on with cloud right now. And we've always been in the cloud since we launched our initial platform seven years ago. Right. And we've learned a lot about cloud, but it's advancing so quickly that um, that you really have to stay on top of it to, to really yeah. to really harness what can be done with cloud. Learn as much as you can about that area of the business, even if you're not on the cloud now. Right, you probably will be at some point. So uh, yeah. or at least part at least part of your business. Yeah, and how about things like scalability with a small company? I mean, have you learned any lessons as far as like how hard that is to do? Or? Well, it, it is. Um, we've made a run at sort of creating a brand before, and that was a valuable lesson that. It's an expensive proposition to, especially in the app stores and things like that, to get your name out in front of consumers. Right. There's millions of apps out there now, right? So uh, it's an expensive and tricky proposition to create a brand. So we're fine with sort of living in the background and letting the people who've spent all this money for their brand stay out front. Yeah, be the problem solvers. Yeah. Well, Bob, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have not already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting network of choice, be that Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. We're also on YouTube. If you go to our website, websuasion.com, W-E-B-S-U-A-S-I-O-N, at the very top in our header, you'll see some social media links. Third from the right is the YouTube link. Click on that, then click on the subscribe button, and then click on the bell icon, and we will notify you anytime we upload new videos. We usually upload a couple of videos a day, Monday through Friday, and they are great little snippets of business information that you can share with your prospects and colleagues over LinkedIn and Facebook and wherever you like to keep yourself top of mind without having to create the content to do so. Next week on the show, we have Kristen Hendricks of Marshall Jones. Kristen holds a counseling degree from SUNY Alfred and brings over a decade of experience in client relations to Marshall Jones, an accounting firm based in Atlanta. Her efforts in reimagining the business development for the firm resulted in her promotion to full partner status as of January 1st, 2019. She combines her experience in healthcare and counseling with business acumen to build productive and happy teams. We look forward to that and we hope you will join us. And until then, have a productive work week.